If you're coming into the new year thinking, you know what, my life is just not shaped and saturated and near and familiar with God's word in the scripture like it should be, maybe maybe this is a year to make one resolution related to, I want to daily be in his word, reading, studying, meditating, memorizing, whether that's listening to his word read, whether that's listening to preaching, whatever it be, make this a year where this one habit create ripple effects in your life. Welcome to the Crossway Podcast, a show where we sit down with authors each week for thoughtful interviews about the Bible, theology, church history, and the Christian life. I'm Matt Tully, and today I'm talking with David Mathis. David serves as executive editor for DesiringGod.org and pastor at Cities Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He's contributed to numerous books and is also the author of Habits of Grace, Enjoying Jesus Through the Spiritual Disciplines from Crossway. Today, David and I discuss how anyone can make Bible reading a habit in 2020. He reflects on the pros and cons of New Year's resolutions, shares why he prefers the term habits of grace rather than spiritual disciplines, and offers some practical advice on making a plan to read the Bible every day. Let's get started. David, thank you so much for joining us today on the Crossway Podcast. Thanks, Matt. Good to be here. Yeah, so the new year is just around the corner. Uh, Today is December 30th. And many of our listeners might be contemplating some New Year's resolutions. I think many of us, and we kind of get this time of year, we start to think ahead. We're assessing our own lives, assessing things that we want to change about our lives, things that feel like they're not quite where we would like them to be. And yeah, I know that a lot of Christians have different perspectives on the value of New Year's resolutions. Um, so my first question is, are you, are you planning to make any for 2020? Yes, I will. And uh, some of it is because I love seasons. I love the year. I love Christmas and New Year's and St. Patrick's and Mother's Day and Father's Day and Easter and Fourth of July and kind of moving through the calendar of the year. And our, we have four distinct seasons here in Minnesota, which I love. So, so part of it is that I don't feel any biblical or spiritual mandate to do it. And I don't see anything biblically that would prevent us from doing it. In fact, Second uh, Thessalonians one eleven uh, talks about which is where Paul was praying for Thessalonians that God may make them worthy of His calling and fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power. So there is a, a biblical blessing on the Thessalonians resolving to do something good, and Paul praying that God would bless their every resolve for good. So when I make New Year's resolutions. I do them in the spirit of 2 Thessalonians 1, 11. Uh, pray that it would be a, a kind of resolve for good that would be produced by a born-again heart, uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit, informed by God's Word, and that would have the end of glorifying God and serving others through love and uh, satisfying my soul in Him. So those are the kind, of, the, kinds of, the kind of framework I would put on uh, spiritual resolutions for the new year that I think would be helpful. Mm. Yeah, I think many of us maybe feel that maybe a little bit of tension. I don't know if that's the right word. Uh, when it comes to resolutions, whether spiritual or or otherwise, and namely that it can sometimes feel like uh, there's a choice to be made between relying on God and His grace and His power, especially when it comes to some of those spiritual goals that we might have, versus just working really hard in our own strength to to meet them. So how do you tease that out for me? How do you think about that 
those two sides of uh, this issue. Well, a couple texts to put with them. Philippians 2, 12 and 13, where Paul says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. So that's the framework that I want to come to the Christian life with, that uh, God gives us the dignity of participating in the process of our sanctification and growth. We are not passive in it. He works in us by his spirit. He meets us externally through the word, read, preached, heard, through fellowship and through the church. And so God gives us this great grace of participating in the process. He means for us to work out our salvation, to be engaged, to expend effort, to uh, make exertions of the will and mind and heart, and to know that we are not the decisive ones who are bringing about anything of spiritual and lasting significance, but that God is the one who is at work in us by the power of his spirit to will and to work for his good pleasure. Another Another text I love going to uh, that captures that dynamic of our working, but our working not being decisive and ultimate, but leaning on the working of God for it to be effective, is First Corinthians 15.10, uh, where Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God, and his grace in me was not in vain, but I worked harder than all the other apostles, <laughs> but it was not I, but the grace of God in me. Uh, so Paul would go so far and say he worked harder than the other apostles. I mean, Paul was a serious worker. There is quite a doctrine of vocation and work ethic to be found in the apostle Paul, if you run with that. But I won't run, I won't run with that right now. I'll run with Paul's exertions, Paul's engagement of his mind, his heart, his will, his body, his actions, and him saying, it was not I but the grace of God in me. We say, what do you mean, Paul? It wasn't you. It was you. It was your hands doing the work. It was your mind. It was your body. It was your faith that was engaged. And Paul would say, yes, 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 I was engaged, but it was not I in the decisive way. Ultimately, and most effectively and essentially, it was the grace of God at work in me. Hmm. Yeah, I think you hit on an interesting idea, and that is, I think oftentimes our resolutions are really about trying to help us establish a habit. Uh, maybe it's we're trying to exercise regularly or eat better every day or read our Bible every day or pray more consistently. Uh, and I just think taking a step back even, it seems like our culture is pretty interested in habits right now. Um, I was looking online a little bit and you know there are countless best-selling books on the power of habits. There are podcasts that talk about how to hack your habits. Uh, there are apps even now that promise to, to help you establish good habits uh, whatever that might be, uh, do you do you have any thoughts on what's behind what seems to be a cultural interest, a broader cultural interest in habits right now? Some of it, perhaps, is our being aware of more information now through various scientific research, uh, information that God wired into us from the beginning, but is on the frontier of what humans are, are learning about the human body. I mean, the, the final frontier in our research about the human body is the brain. Uh, in, in mass, we understand so little about the brain, and we continue that's continue to learn more and more about it. And the habit function is something that has has come up in recent research where there's more understanding of it. And so, so for instance, the Power of Habit book and those like that are popularizing some of that more recent research about the way the brain functions in habits and seeing the glory of how God wired us from the beginning for these habits. So, for instance, um, 
decision making, you may not realize this, uh, but decision making, it it takes a toll. There's emotional energy to consider an option, another option, whether limited options or countless options, and then make a decision about doing something. And if we're uh, every day making decisions, conscious decisions, the investments of our energy into deciding between things, that's a lot of expenditures of energy for the kinds of things we're doing each day. So uh, (laughs) every time I get an automobile, I don't need to make the decision, like, am I going to put a seatbelt on this time? First of all, it's not, uh, (laughs) I I don't want to invest the energy in trying to decide and weigh the option. Should I have the seatbelt on? This is uncomfortable, but it could save me if I'm in a crash, but it's a low low chance that I'm going to meet a crash. And it, it, I, I don't need to exert that energy, and I don't need to make the wrong decision. <laughs> I need to just always put the seatbelt on because I'm not going to plan when the accident is. And uh, when I come to a red light, uh, I need to stop. <laughs> I, I don't need to. I don't want to cultivate in me a trying to make that decision. Should I stop this time or not at this red light or at the stop sign? And so automobiles are, are one way for us to, to play out the option in a more obvious way of the kinds of things that habits do for us. So automobile habits uh, are ways that uh, make our lives more productive, more safe. I mean, often we'll talk about, you know, I drove home. I didn't even think about driving home. I just drove home, made all the turns. And because God's wired us in such a way is to, to go through those things, create the habits uh, that we can then give our energy now elsewhere. So for instance, now to make it spiritual, uh, every morning when I wake up, I don't need to sit there and weigh, like, should I listen to God's voice this morning in the scriptures? Is it something I want to do today? Because on the one hand, I don't want to give the mental energy to trying to make that decision. I'd like to give my mental energy to what the Bible says and to hearing from God through reading his words and meditating on it my soul. Save the mental energy for that. And then also, I don't want to make the wrong decision. <laughs> I don't want to start thinking, oh, it, well, today I won't. Um, at, this, is, this is the power of habit, and we're very aware of how habits work negatively for us, whether it's... Uh, we're working with a child right now on stopping uh, sucking her thumb (laughs) or biting fingernails or, you know, we're aware of the the negative connotations when we think of habits. But on the positive side, God wired this into the human brain and means for us to make good use and all the more spiritual use of the power of habit. And in particular, uh, the habit of turning to him first thing in the morning, putting our energy toward uh, what he has to say to us in his word is I think a fantastic, you might call it a keystone habit, where other habits then fall like dominoes when you get the right kind of key habits in place. Yeah, I think sometimes we can feel, at least I know I feel this way sometimes, uh, like certainly when it comes to the spiritual disciplines, like reading our Bible or praying, um, it can feel like those are obligations, good things that we are called to do, that we should be doing uh, for spiritual reasons. And it can be hard to figure out how to uh, relate those to the findings of secular science and psychology and other things that you were mentioning about things we're learning about the human brain and how we make decisions, how we form habits, uh, where motivation comes from and how that plays in there. I think we can sometimes feel like we just need to do it and no matter how we feel and that maybe these other things just give us excuses for why we don't want to do it. So I I guess speak more to how you 
integrate the findings of secular science and psychology and, and all that uh, to how you think about some of these, these uh, spiritual disciplines and issues. And one really interesting concept, uh, first of all, just parenthetically, uh, the findings of secular science uh, have their very limited place in and need to relate to what God has to say to us in his word. That's a conviction I bring in as a conviction that Crossway as a publisher uh, is going to have from the beginning. And, uh, and so <laughs> put that bracket there. We're not putting these two side by side uh, and trying to mingle the two. We have a, a foundation in God's words to us in scripture. And then we try to see where things can be helpful or not. And some of us will take those more peripherally as I do. Others will be more serious about them and, and, uh, and make that more of a part of their life, that intersection of, of say, science and faith. Uh, but uh, a, a key concept in some of the habit research is the function of reward. How important it is that the, the way that the, the brain trains itself to go through certain habits is looking to a particular reward. Not that that reward always shows up, but if there's no reward, the brain's not motivated to kind of cultivate that habit, which... Uh, for us as Christians, reward is a very biblical concept. Jesus himself, in his teaching, makes, as C.S. Lewis says, unblushing promises of reward. And Hebrews 11 talks about coming to him, believing that, that God exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. And so, very important in cultivating various spiritual habits, habits of grace. Uh, the other literature will call it uh, spiritual disciplines. Very important is is seeing these spiritual dis- disciplines uh, not just as obligations, but as opportunities, as opportunities for reward. And so uh, I, I'm a Christian hedonist, <laughs> work at Desiring God, worked with John Piper all these years. I believe that God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him, that God is not glorified in the way that He ought to be. If we're not satisfied in him, if we don't rejoice and delight and enjoy him, which the Bible uh, assumes and makes explicit from cover to cover in various ways. And so I want to come to the spiritual disciplines or habits of grace, knowing that uh, my God is a happy God and that he wants to motivate and does motivate through reward and that he means to be the great reward, capital our reward that we pursue. And so in the spiritual disciplines, we're on a quest for joy. We're pursuing our joy in the one who is supremely valuable and delightful, namely God himself. And when you put that explicitly in place and you're thinking about coming to his word, not as a mere duty or as an obligation, but as an opportunity for relationship, for enjoying him, or coming to prayer and having the stunning gift that God himself, the creator of the universe, not only speaks to us in his word, but he pauses, as it were, and bends his ear and wants to hear from us that we have God's ear in the person and work of his son in prayer, and that God didn't make us to be lone rangers and to be on our own, but that he saves us along with a group of people called the church and that he means to uh, reward us through the relationships and through the inputs and through the investments and through the interaction that we have with this people called the church and being in covenant community with a local group of fellow believers in Jesus. That these things are 
rewards held out to us. These are invitations held out to us as Christians. And I I think that change in perspective, which is not a mind game, it is coming to terms with the way the Bible itself talks about what it means to approach God and pursue his various avenues, that we are coming as receivers to these God-appointed avenues of his grace to receive from him the benefit and spiritual blessing and enjoyment of, of knowing and enjoying him. And so w- when we have that conception, it transforms, it has for me, transforms what it means to come to his to His word, to come to prayer, to come to the various corporate habits that happen in the life of the church for the Christian. Hmm. So one of the other things that you you say in your book is that you prefer the term habits of grace. And you've actually, you've mentioned that already. And it seems like you prefer that over something like the more standard spiritual disciplines. Why is that? At, at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's the terminology is not a big deal. Uh, I, I'm not trying to fight a battle to change the evangelical parlance on spiritual disciplines. It's probably not a, a smart one to fight or a battle to, to have. Uh, but the way you think about things uh, can make a difference in how you experience them or vice versa, chicken before the egg or whatever, in terms of how you really view that reality may influence what kind of terminology you give to it. And spiritual disciplines for me, uh, the connotations there seem to put the accent on me as the doer. And rather than coming to the whole enterprise in the context of a Christian theology that says God's the great giver, God's the great doer, and he is extending to you here initiatives, invitations, opportunities. There's a waterfall of his grace, and he has specified in his word the most common places that he promises to bring his grace into our Christian lives. And so if we want to live and be receivers of his grace in the Christian life, we should listen to what he said about how he continues to give his ongoing grace to us. Uh, and it, my, my summary of those three, I think you could you could summarize it in many ways. And often lists of spiritual disciplines tends toward long lists of 10, 12, 15, 20 items of various spiritual disciplines to practice. Which can feel pretty overwhelming at times. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at least as to me and perhaps to you. And uh, maybe there's some listeners out there that, that love to engage in long lists. But it, it's often been discouraging to me to try to think about 15 or 20 specific practices that I need to be having in my life all the time. So one thing I found helpful is to think, all right, now behind those specific disciplines that are being commended, what are the principles of God's grace? What is God doing behind that? How is my pursuit of these various habits, disciplines, whatever we call them, in accordance with what God's promised in extending his ongoing grace in the Christian life? And my best summary of the the main principles is threefold, that uh, first and foremost, through God's word, we hear his voice. God's breathing out of himself and his grace to us in his word, revealing to us who he himself is, who his son is, what our world is, what our sin is, what salvation is. Uh, his, His first and foremost means of grace for us in the Christian life is his word and are coming into contact with it in its various forms. And then secondarily, 
God amazingly wants to hear back from us. He gives us his ear in prayer. And so prayer is a vital means, and you could call it principle at this level, without getting yet into the practices of how to go about prayer, just the the reality of prayer, that we have God's ear in prayer because of Jesus is a as a principle of grace. Secondary, second, and then third would be that God puts us in that corporate context, that the, the body of life of his church. So I, I like to summarize this, hear his voice in his word, have his ear in prayer, and then belong to his body in the fellowship of the local church, where God loves to extend his grace to us in the corporate context. There's a common adage that uh, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Uh, do you think that's true when it comes to cultivating habits of grace? Here we are, last week of December, and uh, I don't think it's essential that you make New Year's resolutions. You are not disobeying a biblical command if you just sit the thing out and say, I'm not doing this New Year's resolutions. But uh, the way I've approached that is if I got a wife, if I got friends, if I got others who are doing it, if it's kind of a cultural event, uh, resolutions for good, as we talked about earlier, are not unbiblical. And so I love to make the most of the opportunity. So here's the, the kind of way I would think through making plans uh, for the new year. First thing would, would be uh, to focus on a few, perhaps only a single thing rather than a bunch. Why, why is that? My experience has been if you focus on a bunch of things, you can only handle so much at once <laughs> in terms of just the emotional energy that it takes to start a whole bunch of new things. I mean, the very nature of habits, as we talked about, is trying to save us emotional energy on repeated things so that we can give it to things that really need our emotional energy. And so I would, it, it can be, you can get into the season a little too much and go overboard and make so many resolutions that you are, uh, humanly speaking, destined to fail in all of them. So I would say, uh, Make just a few, perhaps two, maybe even one. And if we're talking spiritual resolutions here, if you're coming into the new year thinking, uh, you know what, I my life is just not shaped and saturated and near and familiar with God's word in the scripture like it should be, <laughs> maybe, maybe this is a year to make one resolution related to, I want to be a man of his word. I want to daily be in his word, reading, studying, meditating, memorizing, whether that's listening to his word read, whether that's listening to preaching, whatever it be. I, I make this a year where this one habit, I'm going to be a man of the word, going to be a woman of the word. Perhaps that would be for you, we mentioned earlier, the keystone habit. There are kinds of habits that are so significant that they create ripple effects in your life. And if you and if you would focus on that first and most basic means of God's grace, that, that's where it all begins, God's, God's speech. He creates through his speech. He redeems through his speech. Um, the word that transforms us is the gospel word. God's word, his speaking, his revealing of himself is fundamental to reality. And so when we become the kind of people who orient on his word as creatures to our creator who speaks, it has all sorts of implications. We're going to find in his word uh, various things that are going to relate to prayer and drive us to prayer and inspire prayer. And we cannot take his word seriously and obey his word without making uh, real and substantial and effective commitments to other Christians in a local real life context. And so, uh, so his word would be one of those keystone habits that would affect other things. So that'd be the first focus on a few, maybe only one. 
not many. Second, make it specific. Uh, perhaps as specifically as you can, try to specify the kind of habits that you want to form. Not just the general uh, resolution of, I want to be more man of the word, and I guess I'll figure that out along the way. I'd say go ahead here, last week of December, first week of January, try to make some specific plans for uh, what time you're going to do that, how much you're going to do it, where you're going to start, uh, and try to try to plan it out. And uh, I think that will help significantly in pursuing new resolutions in the new year. And this flows right into crafting a plan that's realistic. Uh, don't try to think about all the potential things you can do. It's very easy to be inspired in the new year, be idealistic, rather make it practical. If, if you're going after the right kind of habit development and change in spiritual habits, uh, they will make a significant impact over time if you're picking the right thing. And you having a realistic plan of how to jump into it will, will be helpful. Another thing then would be, this would be a fourth thing, identify the reward. How for the Christian, the great capital R reward is God himself, the God who is the happy God who means for us to know him and enjoy him and to relate how various spiritual habits or disciplines would relate to him. That will be most effective in creating your habits if you're consciously and intentionally identifying what that reward is and knowing what you're pursuing as you go about it. Uh, a fifth thing then would be uh, to enlist some regular accountability. Don't just go on your own with this. Draw in a spouse, draw in a roommate, draw in a friend, accountability partner, somebody from church. Have somebody else in on it so that there is that, that tangible, visible, <laughs> real-life person that you're going to talk to and, and stay up to date on and, and then help in that habit creation. And then uh, finally, I'd say cover the efforts in prayer. Back to what we began with, that we don't do this in our own strength. We do make exertions. Habit creation, New Year's resolutions, following through with those, that involves our minds, our will, our bodies, our exertions of energy. But the decisive work is not done by us. If there's going to be anything of spiritual significance, of lasting significance, that's going to be accomplished decisively by God at work in us to will and do for his good pleasure. Not I, Paul says, but the grace of God in me. And so uh, to, to cover the whole thing in prayer and say, Father, I'm going to make these efforts. I'm going to try this. I'm focusing on one or a few things, and I want it to be uh, realistic and specific. And I'm, I'm pursuing the reward of knowing and enjoying you, the living God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And I'm drawing in others to try to help with accountability. Uh, but Father, I know nothing of lasting significance is going to happen merely because of my efforts. It's going to happen because you had your favor on it. Your spirit was at work. You blessed it. You extended your grace to me. You brought about real change in my life and real increase of joy. And so we should ask God to be a part of it and for him to do that as we try to make resolutions in a new year. How important would you say it's, it is to give yourself grace for those days when you, you just don't find the time, you don't make the time to, to pray or read your Bible? How important is that concept of giving yourself grace in your own mind? Uh, giving yourself grace. I mean, I, I would more want to frame it in terms of uh, that you missed out <laughs> on grace. <laughs> uh if there is this concept of 
uh, oh, I'm not going to have a good day now, or uh, you know, is is God frowning at me because I didn't you know do the thing and do the evangelical quiet time first thing in the morning and check the box? I I want you encourage you to dis- dispel that and to try to come at this from the angle of um, God is the giver of grace. And he is offering you these avenues for satisfaction and relationship with him that really matters that you're created for. And I would more, uh, I wouldn't want to want to cultivate feeling condemnation as much as the the miss of an opportunity. Maybe like missing breakfast, where uh, you didn't you didn't want to miss food perhaps like you missed out on feeding and so you're hungry and so uh it's not like oh well you know i'm i miss it today i won't condemn myself for missing breakfast but uh, i'll try again tomorrow it's like no you're you're still hungry <laughs> like uh you probably want to have something mid-morning or you're going to want to have a a lunch and and so that would be a way to think about it is if, if you miss so to speak in the morning uh God's word is still there. Uh, I, I would encourage you to carve it out. Um, and, and and there are seasons of life. So in 2010, my wife and I had twin boys. And uh, I have very little memory of weeks, even months, because I slept so little. And we're doing these feedings every every hour and a half. And, and we were in the hospital for a few weeks with both of them because they were, they were preemies born at 35 weeks. And, and uh, there are seasons of life. Then our, our daughter came, our third, our third child came, and then our fourth child came uh, about two and a half years ago. And those, those were crazy seasons in adapting to a new season of life. And so uh, that may be a sense in which you want to, if, if give yourself grace is the right phrase, or just to understand your context and know that, that life has its seasons, life has its changes, and the kind of patterns and habits that you want to have in the long term aren't always things that you need to force for the sake of loving others in the meantime. So there, there's here's a very practical instance in having a newborn. I get up early. I get to the table downstairs. I've got my Bible. And uh, here I am, you know, I'm pursuing the one who rewards those who seek him. Like, I want to I wanna know and enjoy Jesus. Uh, here I am reading my Bible. And, uh, and then I hear the first few cries <laughs> of the baby. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> am I, how's this going to go? <laughs> Every parent listening knows exactly what you're talking about. And it's, it's at first, it's like, well, maybe, you know, she was, she was going back to sleep, you know, just, and then after a couple minutes, like, she's not going back to sleep, like she's awake. And uh, soon she's going to be waking up the other kids. And soon she's going to be waking up my wife. Uh, and besides, I love this baby and I want to care for her and nurture her. And so uh, factoring in love for others is I think very important in this conversation about you know giving yourself grace on missing your habits uh, because if, if it's because of your poor planning because you stayed up later than you should have because you were watching the next thing on Netflix or scrolling through uh, whatever if if it's on you that's a very different story than if God is presenting you with an opportunity to love and help somebody else. And so uh, often as a father, as a husband, it can be as a pastor, if there's a, a certain call that would come in, that didn't typically happen 
uh, I find in the morning times, often the, the the opportunity that God presents me to love and care for somebody else is somebody in my own house. When my nice little preference would be to you know continue to enjoy God with over my Bible, Amen. You know, pursue that, Amen. And uh, sometimes God calls with various acts of love for caring for child, caring for spouse, and so that may be something to to, to think through as well. Is what what is the reason that the space you wanted to carve out now has been restricted and cramped is it a uh a divine <laughs> um, move in your life where he's offering you so, all right david I'm, I'm i'm filling you up here with my word i've done so and i you're ready to pour out I, you're ready to care for that baby you're ready to care for your wife you're ready to care for your neighbor uh, answer the call of love right now and come back here you know come back to feed later on and that's a very different circumstance than just my poor planning, where uh, there may be a sense there uh, to say, you know, like, come on, man, you got to plan better than this. Get some accountability. I got to get that TV off by this time so I can get enough sleep so that I can get up and, and meet with my God, which is the most important thing to do first thing in the morning. Mm, right. Okay, maybe last question. Uh, if someone's listening right now, and they are convinced, they're excited, they are um, motivated by this conversation, by what you've said, to really try to prioritize, maybe they'll say their Bible reading in 2020, and, and even want a goal of spending focused time in their Bibles, uh, maybe even leading into prayer every single day in 2020. My question is, very practically, what would be the first three tangible steps that they should take uh, maybe even right now or in the next day to start to make that goal a reality. Uh, here's, I think this is how I would go about it. And they may want to go about it in a different way, but I think I've, the way I'd go about it is uh, probably on my own with a pencil or my fingers on a keyboard. Uh, I would try to type out some thoughts about it so that it's not just this amorphous inclination in my head, but that in the very act of getting it into words, uh, the idea and the intentionality will be fleshed out and will grow. So in our heads, we have these, these seedlings or these uh, trajectories of thought, but until they're fleshed out, either in words that we speak to somebody else or if we capture them in, in writing, that uh, they're not they're not whole and full and filled out yet. So the first thing I would say is 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 turn these resolutions, these kind of latent resolutions or instincts, get them into words, uh, whether that's spoken to someone or written down. Uh, and then uh, I, I would say have a conversation with somebody, draw somebody in, so you're not just doing it on your own. Hopefully that's a spouse, that's a roommate, somebody in your life that you can have. Uh, by offering to them what you're planning, they can say, hey, and they can speak into it as to whether that's realistic or whether it should be directed in a more specific way. Um, uh, it's just helpful to have other people. God made us to have other people, not just to be alone and think and write in our own rooms, but to engage and interact with others. So maybe first thing is flesh it out in words. Second, draw in another person. And then maybe third, I would say, turn it explicitly Godward. Ask for his help. Uh, ask that his blessing would be on it. Ask that this would, that this, he would confirm that this is what he would have you to do here at the start of the year. 
uh, that you would want to to consecrate it, set it set it aside, you know, make it holy to Him, and ask for His blessing on it, His power in it. And as you go about it, uh, you want to look for progress, not perfection. Um, that that can be a, an instinct that creeps up at this time of year. To it, maybe it's just me to create this long list of New Year's resolutions, and then think you got to do it perfectly, and feel a sense of uh, dissatisfaction or burden if you're not executing perfectly. And, uh, the, the goal of making these resolutions and seeking God's help in it and accountability in it and specificity in it and a realistic plan in it is that you'd make, you'd make progress in your spiritual life. And, uh, not that you would have ascended to some new level of perfection. Well, David, thank you so much for spending some time talking with us today and for just offering your own insights into uh, what God has taught you about habits of grace and how he has uh, led you to establish some. Uh, and I'm hoping and praying that this is helpful to many others who are listening to us today. Thanks, man. It was good to talk to you. That was David Mathis on Making Bible Reading a Habit. For more, be sure to check out his book with Crossway, Habits of Grace, Enjoying Jesus Through the Spiritual Disciplines, available online or at your local Christian bookstore. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review, which helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.